Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast, where sometimes we get some stuff right, sometimes we get some stuff wrong. Last week, I made a comment about the future of organized play, where I wanted to give Wizards the benefit of the doubt for once in my life, and I hoped that they would come through and actually, you know, give the players the stuff that they said they would get for qualifying for events. But uh, based on recent organized play announcements, that is not the case. Brian, what do we think? Uh, I have a lot of thoughts. Maybe surprising nobody. First of all, I appreciate your optimism, Gerald. I'm glad you stepped to the plate to have Wizards back and put a vote of confidence in their direction. And I mean, I think you were just being honest. There's, There's a lot of reasons to expect that when you offer a form of organized play that says it's going to provide something, the end result will be what was promised. I mean, that seems pretty clear. It's just how you proceed as a company that people can have faith in and trust in. But it didn't really go that way, did it? No. And to be clear, I think if they're just like, all right, all of these events that we have announced, like, oh, if you qualify for this pro tour, this is the prize payout that is going to happen. But in the future, we are dramatically reducing prize payout. I think everyone would be like, cool. Yep, 100% justified. I, I would not fault Wizards for one second. I, f- hell, they could cancel the Pro Tour for the rest of the year. And given the circumstances, I'd be like, yeah, that probably makes some sense. They could delay it infinitely, saying until we can get things back together, we're not going to do this. Sure, I, I get it. Unprecedented times, and there are bigger concerns right now. So the, the TLDR for the announcement, yeah, based on a tweet from at Kanye Best MTG, friend of the podcast, is basically... The old organized play stuff that was already set up, which were like Pro Tour Finals, Regional Pro Tours, and some Mythic Invitationals and prize pools that they had announced and everything, was $3.45 million total. And the new OP announcement for events that basically make up for these events that have been lost is uh, four Pro Tours a Pro Tour Finals, a Mythic Invitational, and a Season Finals, which is a new event. And the total of that is $1.35 million. So lost equity to players, $2.1 million. It's a huge, huge number. About a quarter of what the Hasbro CEO makes in a year. But still, a tremendous number when you think about how much people invest in this game, how much they care, how many, how many people do this for a living. Like, they're professional Magic players. Let's not ignore that fact. I just want to get so, out my central argument hold about on, this. Hold on. Hold on. Let me let me go on record stating that I don't feel all that bad for the professional magic players as long as you're talking about the people who are in the MPL. I'm not. Where, I'm I'm talking about people okay. who earn their living through magic in many ways. And, okay. But I yes. I don't think it's entirely fair to just write off the loss of the MPL players though. No, no, no. So obviously like you know, they're they're playing in these tournaments, they are getting the minimum prize payouts for things like the Mythic Invitationals and stuff, and like they're banking on that money, right? Right. But also, if you were in the first season of the MPL, you're basically okay. going to be locked in to be MPL for three years. Yeah. Which, which to me is ridiculous. That's crazy. But still, like, there's a reality of monthly bills, and you build your plan. I, I mean, it's always complicated when you're playing a game where there's a huge amount of variance, but like... You plan to have some magic income, basically. That's how you think you're going to pay your rent and feed your family. And 
that is evaporating. So I don't want to ignore that fact just because they benefit in some ways from this announcement. There's still very real costs that they're going to face, which- Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm just saying like, you, you kind of got two extra years of this for free for a lot of them. So- That's uh, true. That's true. I, I think that's a separate benefit, but a fair point. Like I said, I just want to lay out my whole problem with all of this. Like I said- Hit me, hit me. You, you can stop- OP cold and you can say no more PTs for the rest of the year, or you can dramatically cut the prize support for all the upcoming PTs and say, we didn't know this pandemic was coming. There's no way we could plan for this. We're not really getting a return on this investment in OP anymore. So we're going to scale back. Great. Gotcha. 100% on board. Seems like a prudent decision given the circumstances. The problem is for the last two months in the midst of this pandemic, not only did you continue to run PTQs for these events, you yes. dramatically upped the number of PTQs you were running for these events. And this isn't like they realized things were getting out of hand and, okay, maybe we should stop this. This was happening last week. There are still PTQs going on the day of this announcement. Like literally someone won a PTQ in the morning and found out OP looked entirely different after that. So I want you to put yourself in a position of someone who battles to qualify for the Mythic Invitational and believes they have a chance at, if they show up and win this event, taking home a quarter of a million dollars. A quarter of a million dollars is life-changing money. You buy a house for yourself. You pay off any amount of debt you've incurred. You can, you can fundamentally alter your reality with a quarter million dollars. I know I've been in these positions before where I had nothing. And if someone brought a quarter million dollars to me, I could totally redefine my life. It's, and it's still not, have a lot left over. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not a trivial amount of money. Now, what is the new first prize for these events? I, I believe it's $10,000. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's all bad. It's bad. Yeah. Yeah. 10K. So in the midst of happily accepting money from these people. All these people who entered these PTQs, they're still paying the same entry fee. They're giving you their $30 week after week, honestly, day after day, because there have been daily PTQs for two months right now. And you're happily accepting that money. And then you retroactively change what they were competing for this entire time. I don't know how you defend that in good faith. It's just not acceptable to treat your customers that way. And like I said, on board with cuts, this is a unprecedented situation. There's going to have to be sacrifices and changes made. But you took the money until last week. You happily took their money and you used it to pad your bottom line. And then you took away the support that you were offering. It's like if I bet $10,000 to win a million dollars and after you took my $10,000, you're like, yeah, actually this is for $100,000 now. Well, what the hell just happened? How can that? How can you unilaterally change the bargain like that when you were still taking my money? You had no objections to doing that in the pandemic, but now when things get a little tight, you're going to change the terms of what you're paying out. It just seems so duplicitous and unacceptable, and I'm not sure why the player base would tolerate it. Yeah, it is. It is huge bait and switch, right? Yeah, it's like people are just like, oh, like we want to play tournament magic. And they're like, okay, like here's tournament magic. And it's, it's, you know, going to qualify you for these things. And then they're just like, ah, never mind. We just decided to not do that. And it's like, what if they had made the announcement and then also ran the PTQs? You know, it's like, fine. obviously, yeah, then that's fine. But it just seems like there's, there's no way they couldn't have known 
which way the wind was blowing, right? Like you can make the argument that the people who do the budgeting and price structure and stuff are not the same people who are organizing like the the actual tournament structure. If that's and true, that's a huge problem. I, right? I also agree with that. But it, it's also like kind of impossible, I think, to... Well, I guess when, when you're not working live, then this happens less as far as like the way that information travels and everything. It's like you would, if you were in the office, you would certainly figure out that like, oh yeah, the prize pools are obviously going to get cut a bunch. And then at that point, running the tournaments as is and announcing that they're going to be paid out in a certain way in future tournaments is duplicitous. But I, I guess if like people are working at home, like maybe that information doesn't disseminate. I don't know. But I agree that either way that those people <laughs> like, you know, not working on the same stuff is a, a pretty big issue. Yeah. I just don't know how I, I can't make up a theoretical organization that could function this way. And the, the information not getting transmitted is what caused the problem here. It just seems like the only answer for what causes the problem here is money. And the desire to make money and the desire to make more money. And uh, I mean, let me, I let me also say that the prizes for like, you know, these PTQs and uh, the arena open and all of this other stuff that's going on, like the prizes are really bad. Yeah. Because they have a huge portion of their equity tied up in, in participation in OP. And that has always correct. been the case with magic, right? Like that is. GPs 101. GPs have always had horrible EV, but you go, oh, I chained this together and I put a few results together and I become a platinum pro. And now I've gotten paid on my EV. And granted, it's a bit of a pipe dream and it didn't always work out the way it should have, but there was something there. There was further incentive to participate in an OP because of the potential to chain things together. Yeah. And, and certainly, certainly some of it was even like the the min cash that you get for qualifying for a pro tour. It's like that that is part of the prize rolled into it, right? Right. And right. yeah, this is, it's, it's so messed up, man. It's so messed up. It's just like, it, it's so far afield that it's the type of thing that I don't even want to spend my time yelling about because I, I just don't know how you take an alternate position that this is okay. Like it honestly blows my mind that you would step up to defend retroactive changes for these tournaments that everyone participated in under the assumption that this is what they were getting. And all the other stuff, like I said, I'm on board. You got to change. You have to change. That's fine. But retroactively changing this stuff and amplifying your OP system in that time period, like legitimately, there are probably people who spent a grand trying to qualify for these events. Do you think that's fair to say there is a potential to invest a grand in playing PTQs in this time frame? I'm talking only pandemic time frame. Yes. So at the point where we already know things are going to have to change in some degree, I, I think there's a very real case that between the arena online stuff and the fact that there were four qualifiers per day for those finals events on the weekends and magic online had a PTQ every single day. There's no question in my mind. There's individuals who spent over a thousand dollars chasing this qualification. Oh yeah. I wasn't even thinking about magic online. I was thinking about uh, <laughs> just arena and sure. there's certainly players who did not play arena who were like, well, I guess this is how, I have to interact with organized play for right now. And like, yep. you know, people, people want to play magic. I don't blame them. It's like, how many people do you think like just started new arena accounts and put in a bunch of money to get constructed cards to be able to play in these PTQs, you know, a lot. I don't know. I guess, I guess one thing that I will note is that like a lot of these decisions don't necessarily get made by wizards players, of course, wizards employees. Of this, course. Is, this is, this has got to be a Hasbro thing. 
it feels so budgetary. Like just all of a sudden you have your budget yanked out from under you. And look, a very common theme of my criticisms is don't cast it towards individuals. This is, again, same thing here. I'm not trying to cast blame at an individual. There's no person who should bear the brunt of the anger towards this decision. Nah, man. But, I, I know for a fact that Chris Cox just bought everyone who works at oh Watsi a Tesla. He bought everyone a that. Tesla. That's where the money went. Don't even say that. No, there's there's I, no I'm individual. Kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> who bears- Or am I? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> no person bears- the brunt of the blame here. This is a company-wide problem and maybe not even a Wizards of the Coast problem. Who knows? We have no clue where this decision comes from. But that doesn't change the fact that it's unacceptable. And I don't really care where it came from. This is not the way you should be treating your dedicated players. And how much are players going to take? It's like, I don't know, maybe at some point someone who's in like a position of power, maybe like one of the established elite player leagues should take a stand and step away from the game for a minute or, you know, sit out a major event. It seems like something like that could potentially have an impact. I don't know. What do you think, Gerald? Do you think there's any chance someone would step up, do something like that, really fight for the commoners in this case? Dude, it takes a lot. It takes a lot. Like you need a lot of knowledge as far as like magic and the player base and organized play and how to run tournaments. And you need a decent amount of like, capital to be able to front this you need to have some sort of business plan for like how you're actually going to make money because it's like you're not going to get rich off of tournament entry fees and especially if that leads to like a player's championship type of thing at the end of the year or you have like four pro tours a year you know like you need to have money coming in from for somewhere else so it's like you can build this thing but then you also have to sell it somehow through like advertising or whatever and it's just such a huge undertaking that's that's a full-time job for many people, you know, like that's, that's at least like a, a 20 person organization or something. I, I was just trying to set you up to put yourself over Gerald. I was trying to sell you as a hero of the people and I, I thought you would take the bait, but instead you came up with a very salient business point, which kind of explains you in a nutshell, but uh, you use the opportunity to set out a potential future for magic, which I think is a very valid conversation to have as well. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I was, I was taking the question is like, you know, could could someone capitalize on this? No, I mean someone someone in a position of authority and very very high public profile should make some kind of protest. And I'm kind of doing it tongue in cheek oh, because yeah, we yeah. did this already and we saw what the result was. So yeah, so I don't know. As as these announcements happen, occasionally I'll get tagged on Twitter and someone will be like, "Oh, you know, Jerry T was right" or whatever, and then. Occasionally people are like, oh yeah, you've, you've like done a lot or whatever. And I'm just like, have I like, maybe, maybe I raised awareness, but it certainly doesn't feel like I've accomplished anything. Yeah. I, it felt like there was a period where there was a lot more attention being paid to the player base. And I do think you deserved a lot of credit for that. I think you did raise awareness for a time and I think the effect has mostly worn off at this point. And we're back to, well, they're not going anywhere and they keep buying the product. So, Well, did did I raise awareness or was the awareness raised just like creating heat for them? And, you know, maybe that's why they acted how they did or whatever, right? And it's like maybe there there isn't enough negative press or at least like negative press that actually cost them. 
for them to actually walk things back. Like, so they also made this announcement and all the things that are wrong with it. And one of the things that they walked back basically immediately was the fact that they weren't going to give people stocked accounts. It was like, if you qualified through a paper tournament, well, now you have to play this pro tour on arena, which again is like a thing that a lot of people expected, but it's certainly an additional cost for that player. Right. If, if they don't have an arena account. So people complained about that and then they're just like, okay, we can change this. You know, that's a thing that we can do. Right. Doesn't actually cost us anything and should have done it in the first place. So that's a real easy change. It's super easy to tell who's never been like frighteningly poor when it comes to these type of things. Like the people who don't understand what it's like to not know if you can afford to eat the next week and just be like, well, you you played magic. So obviously you were able to do this. It's like, no, you every decision you make is balanced on a knife's edge. And like, sure, you can make an argument that maybe you should not be playing magic in those circumstances. But like, are you allowed any fun when you're just trying to stay above water? Are you allowed to do anything that gives you a moment's peace, a moment's respite? And you use that moment to go play magic on this one weekend, you spike a PTQ, you feel so good about yourself and you have well, a chance you, to maybe make some more money, but now you have to buy into this arena program. You see, you Brian, no in buying. You, you see, Brian, and I'm being facetious here. I'm going to, I'm going to, I can tell by that. your tone. <laughs> I know that you can tell you see, Brian, you're poor. So that means you don't deserve to have any fun. Ah, uh, right, right, right. I forgot. Because, because that's all your fault. And right. clearly, uh, you know, just speaks to your failure as a human being. Thank you for reminding me, Gerald. I occasionally feel good about myself, but I wouldn't want to do that by mistake. Instead, I will wallow in this situation. Um, there's you're, something you're just you're supposed to work 24 seven and not have any fun until you right. become a billionaire. And then at that point, you have worth and you can afford to have fun. Right. You get all the fun at that point. We I do we believe as a that's society, how the we as a society will allow you to have fun at that point. Thank but you. Only Appreciate that. Appreciate that. I, I've heard the argument that like, oh, this is cheaper than travel and flying. Yeah, for some people, that'll be true. Uh, I knew people who piled in a car and drove 20 hours to a pro tour because that's how you saved costs and then slept in that same car because that was the cheapest way to do it. So yep. some of these things are negotiable. Some of these things are even negligible depending on if you, I mean, maybe you only tried to qualify because this pro tour is supposed to happen in your hometown. I've certainly known people to go about that route as well. Yep. So there's a bunch of circumstances that don't necessarily render this argument moot just because you're taking away travel costs. I don't know. It it just feels really bad. There's, there's so many things to feel bad about in this announcement. And it's at a time when like everything is already really bad and magic is supposed to be the bright point for a lot of us and the thing we can focus on and enjoy and escape for a little bit. And then throwing all this stuff on it was just really, really disheartening. There's, there's also like, well, you know, maybe you need to like buy a new laptop or a better internet connection to you. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Internet connections are a real problem. It's not even necessarily just tied up in the arena account itself, but it's like, yeah, that's the thing that wizards can do. And they basically already do it for the streamer showcase events. And like, it's, it's really, it doesn't seem that hard to me, but anyway, yes. Uh, I dude, I, I wanted magic to be the high point. I want it to be like, Oh, like they are actually doing OP stuff. This is great. And then this happens and it's like, yeah, going forward, slash the budget, have a much, much smaller scale for organized play. That makes sense to me, but do not do this bait and switch crap. 
That's the only way to describe it. Crap. And I, I'm not going to go through it. I feel like I'm just repeating myself at this point. I Save. have Save. mostly said what I have to say. This is really unacceptable. I would like to see some type of mobilization to express that. I mean, we say all this and then there was like people on Twitter trying to round up people to play the legacy PTQ today. So I, I mean, I get it. I really do. I don't want to judge anyone who's still participating in OP because you need your releases. You need your escapes. Were there and not enough you, players? There were not enough players. No. For a legacy PTQ? Man, I well, there's been one every single day, Gerald. Like, who cares anymore? It's not impressive. It's We've just been doing it nonstop. And there's nothing. We're not even qualifying for meaningful tournaments anymore. So I, I yeah, get it. But like, if, if so if there's not 32 players and like first still gets like $500 plus in equity or whatever, like that's that's good for a moto tournament, you know? I, th- I think it's more than 32 players to launch. It might be like 120, oh, 128. Okay. Yeah, then, then who cares? Yeah, I... I don't know. I I can't fault anyone for just wanting to not worry about this and just have meaningful magic tournaments to play. I totally get that. But it just reinforces their really poor behavior and their ability to continue to exploit the player base. And at some point, you want to hold them accountable. You want to say, no, we're not going to pay for these PTQs anymore. You're going to get this cut out of your bottom line. And then their response would probably just be to cut back OP further and not to actually make meaningful changes and support it anymore. And I think in a lot of ways, they've hungered for an excuse to scale back OP for many years now. And this is a fine one. When they're like leaning super hard into esports, they're like a million dollar prize pool and like all this nonsense. It's like, why? Why? There were, there were so many events where I gave them feedback where it's like, this number does not need to be that big. You know, either it was like for the mythic invitational, for example, it was like a hundred K to first or something. And it's like, that's like kind of cool, but also you could just scale down like, you know, the total amount that you paid out in that tournament, or you could scale down the first place prize or, you know, stuff like that. Right. Where it's like when they do actually give money away, I think they do it in ways that doesn't give them the most benefit out of it. Sure. So I, I have agreed with that at times, but certainly like over the last two years of them just being like, you know, more money, more money in, in these various sports spots. money cannon. Yeah, exactly. It's, you've got the t-shirt cannon just launching it out into the crowds. That's not really what's happening, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. They could, they could just do more with what they have responsibly. And certainly at this point, it's again, just like consistency, transparency, like those are the things that matter. Those are the things that are going to win back trust from the player base and everything. And yeah, maybe, maybe it's just all out of their hands. I don't know. Could be, but could be, I, I, if that's the case though, give me some like coded messaging, like blink twice if you're in trouble wizards. And then I'll know that I don't have to be angry with you. Like there's just gotta be, you can't pass it off to us as we did this for your benefit, which is kind of the tone the announcement had. Like yeah. we had to do this. I think there's an implication that they had to alter price structure to comply with international legality. I don't know if that's true or not. I, I just know Hearthstone runs very big online tournaments. So that's my only contrast point to that. Uh, I won't I won't comment on whether they needed to make those concessions or not. But like, say that, say those words. We had to do this for this reason. Let players know what's going on because otherwise it just feels like you're stealing from us. And there's only so long people are going to tolerate that, especially given the state 
of standard right now. So if, if you're making a really questionable product in terms of quality, I wouldn't double down on really giving people a reason not to play it. It's like, yeah, we, we stole a bunch of money from you. You're welcome. Oh, you, you don't like that? Weird. Here's a stocked account. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you tweet about it. We're, we're good now, right? Yeah. Uh, Arena Open. New, new events. Yeah. Uh, kind of tight. This is So these are the things. So I'm going to say it's kind of tight. I like it in theory. I, I think it's mostly pretty bad. But I like the idea of these sort of things happening. Uh, this is a two-day event. Day one is Saturday, May 30th. Uh, if you get two seven wins, you can play in day two. Day two has some prizes. This is Sunday, the very next day. Uh, you know, just like tournaments like this. I would I would like to play in more stuff like this where I didn't have to grind the ladder. Uh, I would like to play events kind of like this that were you know similar to leagues where I don't mm-hmm. have to complete all of my matches in a very short time frame. But regardless, I like the idea that uh, of them doing stuff like this. But feels like Brian, there's a butt coming. But Brian, uh, you you think this is bad, right? I think the answer to that is complicated. Okay, so I think it's bad because the entry is twenty thousand gold or four thousand gems. Hmm. If you get seven wins before you get three losses, you win half your entry fee back. Yep, and an invitation to day two, and then. Day two has wins that scale up for, or it has prizes for each win you get effectively. Uh, and this is first two, seven wins or two losses. So it goes zero wins, nothing. One win, 2,000 gems. So you have to make day two and go one and two, basically, before your break even. Mm-hmm. Two wins is 4,000. Three wins is 6,000. Four wins, 10,000. Five wins, 20,000. Six wins, $1,000. Seven wins, $2,000. So, okay, I won 14 matches and I win $2,000. But most of the time, I'm just incinerating 4,000 gems. How much is 4,000 gems? Is that like 50 bucks? Or it's like 25, I think. I I think it's 25, but I also think that the answer to this is probably important for good discussion. And my arena client is going to update right now because (laughs) it's been that long since I chose to open arena. That will tell you exactly how I feel. Why Brian? Why Brian? Think of all your quests, man. I know all my quests just rotting on the If you were just, if you were just grinding out all your quests every day, you could have that 20,000 gold. That's true. Let me, I'll make my point while I wait for the, the total to come up on this, this gem to cash conversion. Also best of one, best of one sucks. Yeah, best of one's bad. We'll th- we'll talk and about that more. I think there's a que- there's a question why we're using best of one here. There's something to be said for convenience. There's also something to be said for doing this as quickly as possible and allowing you to enter as many times as possible within the one yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah, don't know if, if you if know you bust out on day one, Brian. Lucky for you, you can just re up. You can just get back in there. Four thousand more gems, man. Yeah. So Todd Anderson in particular was the one who raised this as a real point of concern. And I tweeted that depending on what part of the internet you were listening to on the day of the announcement of this tournament, this was either the most exploitative or the most generous magic tournament ever created. Generous? Oh yeah. Because when you actually do EV calculations on this magic tournament, it comes out way better than your average magic tournament. Way better. 
in terms of well, like what what your return is on a 52% win rate, it's good. Like it's it's better than most magic tournaments. Yeah, but that's just different, right? Not better. Like it, so, you know, there there are the events where like you go to FNM and you pay your entry fee and like everyone gets a booster pack or whatever and the prize payout is super flat. Mhm. I don't really want to play in those events. I don't well, I don't want to spend th- This is not that. This is this is the prize pool absolutely jacked towards the top end, right? Yeah, so like you have a 52% win rate and you come away with like, like your EV is like 200 gems or something. Like I imagine you're It's like plus $2 or something, yeah. Yeah. So like it is it is like more generous. The mm-hmm. EV is distributed to more people, but I don't think that it is better than you know, like having an actual top heavy thing. I don't know. Yeah. So your complaint is with the structure, but in terms of just like the raw analysis of dollars given back for your wins, it's not too shabby. And, you know, different people care about different things. Raw EV calculation is not always going to speak to the value of a tournament to an individual. That's meant to just be a mathematical expression of the value of a tournament. All right. Also hold up. So like I think it is dangerous to broadcast that 52% win rate is plus EV in this tournament if you factor in the fact that there are unlimited rebuys and if you bust out the first one. Say you bust out the first one, what does your win rate have to be for it to be plus EV to join a second one, right? Because then it it just completely skyrockets. Right. I would assume this is based off a, a single entry calculation, but it should hold for each entry, right? Like your EV doesn't change based on prior results. Well, unless, unless you're, so you could look at it like some cost, right? Like right. I, that, that I, is what it is. Yeah. But I don't know, like part of the, the thing of this is that it's like a rebuy tournament, right? When you're doing like poker calculations and you're trying to figure out like whether or not you should play in a certain tournament or whatever, you factor in the cost of like you potentially having to rebuy, right? I don't know. This is so far outside my area of expertise that it's, it's honestly not worth getting my opinion on. I, I get what you're saying is that the actual practical effect of playing this tournament is not reflected in this positive EV calculation. And that is the that is the essence of the internet disagreement is that both of these sides are probably right. Like there might be a positive EV calculation, but still the tournament could be set up in a very exploitative manner. And yeah. that's the ultimate clu- conclusion I came to is that I think Todd's point was very valid. There's a lot going on here that is just designed to get as many entries as possible. And Look, I think there's a fair chance that it's actually intended purpose is convenience. Like, I think there is a possibility that's all that was being contemplated here. Now, the side effect of contemplating that convenience is that you get way more entries and you make way more money. And maybe that was at the forefront. Maybe it wasn't. I'm not going to assign ill motives to people when, like, there's another good faith reason why you would go down this. I'm just. Structure. I'm going to default to ill will at this point. Okay, <laughs> Gerald is all on board the ill will train. Uh, that's given surrounding circumstances. I understand why you would lean that way. I took. I took a week off. I wanted right. to be optimistic. Right. Now, now I'm back to being a realist. Okay. I'm I'm going to continue to fall somewhere in the middle. I think this is a nice tournament for me. This is really providing like what I want out of arena play for the most part. Possibility at a prize that I would be pretty happy winning, pretty low time investment. I'm not going to sit there and fire bullets into it. And the fact that this is distance <laughs> from any kind of like OP chain, like you're not getting mythic points from this makes it yeah. a little bit easier to just be like, ah, I shot my shot. That's fine. I think the the dream tracing isn't quite there. And 
again, this is part of the problem with the previous thing that the PT dream chasing is a very real thing. And it's a very purposefully inserted cultural thing that magic has worked to cultivate over the years. And here is an attempt to seemingly distance itself from that same cultivation, which I, I think is good. And I think it makes it more defensible that this is the setup for this tournament structure. But I'm saying all that, and I, I'm not trying to belittle Todd's concerns. I think they are real. I think there is a subset of people who should probably avoid this tournament like the plague. If you're prone to tilt, if you're prone to like rage entering that next league and just firing off an O2, this is probably not the tournament for you because you can burn through a lot of money real quick playing best of one, needing to get seven wins, a high variance format anyway. And then you're just doing it snap quick, quick, quick game, game, game. And I I don't want to see anyone burn through $300 trying to make this day two. That would be ridiculous. So you're talking about how this is this is actually good for you and like fits your schedule. Yeah. What are you going to play in best of one and actually enjoy? Oh, I'm I'm not going to play it. I, this is entirely hypothetical. Like theoretically, I should hop into this tournament and it's what I've been looking for. With the state of present standard, I have no interest in playing best of one nonsense right now. In a different world, maybe I would be into this. All right, what should I play in best of one? You should play Jeskai Luka because nothing changes Weird. about that deck from best of three to best of one it is still incredibly overpowered every single piece of data we get on this deck just further reinforces how preposterous it is it's like better for this deck in best of one i think too which is messed up yeah if you look at i i don't have the data in front of me there was data that expressed game one win rate uh it might have been from like the mtg melee site as part of the Red Bull stuff. But I actually think that Jeskai Luka was by far the best game one deck. And granted, that doesn't actually fully contemplate the best of one format because you can make some other broader changes in that scenario. Like some decks that are squeezed out really hard by sideboarding can actually be part of the metagame. But still, I just think this deck is on another level and nobody has convinced me of any good reason not to be playing it thus far. I've been playing it, but not in standard. (laughs) <laughs> i've been playing it in pioneer and it's that's a pretty good too. sign that it's really good right <laughs> yeah yeah i i am in the store 3400 gems is 19.99 750 gems is 4.99 so we're looking at about 25 dollars to enter this tournament yeah what if, what if you buy in bulk and you get the like 10k for 90 so you can get 20,000 gems for 99 20, yeah. so $20 in that case per entry yeah, so <laughs> spend a hundred bucks and you got four bullets. Let's go. <laughs> I don't know if that math checks out. First of all, second of all, I don't think this is a good idea or anything we should be encouraging. Uh, again, that was my facetious voice. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You got to work See, on that one. It has to be See, really pointed when you're going into facetious, Jerry. <laughs> uh, I should. I should have. I should have front loaded the warning again. Right. So <laughs> tangentially related. Hearthstone Esports made an announcement today that that you pointed me towards about yeah. how their event, their Pro Tour, effectively, their Masters Pro Tour, is now an online-only event, and they kept all the prizes the same. Interesting. Interesting how you would do that. It's almost like they recognize that people have been participating under a certain expectation this entire time, and changing things midway would be pretty unacceptable. Weird. It is funny that the announcement came out the day after Magic's, right? Like, Yes, it is hilarious. I, I wanted them to take a shot. 
Do you think they saw what happened yesterday? Because we certainly know there's tons of overlap in the community. You know, we've had like Orange on the show before, and certainly we've dabbled in Hearthstone. We know tons of people who are in both worlds. You assume they were aware of what went on in Magic yesterday, right? Uh, so there's, there is overlap and there are certainly some people who are aware that are involved in Hearthstone and Blizzard and stuff. I don't know if the people who are making the decisions are those people. Right. But regardless, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm happy how it turned out. I don't even mess with Hearthstone again, again, because of the Blizzard stuff. But, right. you know, I, I, I think that is a good decision on their end. And yeah, it is an amount of money that they promised to people who were grinding those events and trying to qualify. So it's kind of a no brainer to me. I don't know. Yeah. You just like to see this in contrast with what's going on. If, if I were Hearthstone and I saw it went on in magic, I'd be like, Oh, time to get this announcement out right now, because this is a nice point of contrast. And I've already seen the post on social media, magic players starting that Hearthstone download up saying, Oh, what about this game? Maybe I should give this a look. I've done it before. Look, I've, is, is this my way out? <laughs> is this my way out? That's always the question. And uh, the truth at the core of all of this is that Magic is by far the best game ever made. And I, despite all of our rage and anger contained in this particular episode of the podcast, I don't lose sight of that for a second. And it's very unlikely anything ever drags me fully away. Saying that, though, man, that, that grass sure looks green over there. It really does. Uh, I have not played attention to Hearthstone for a while. I like, you know, vaguely know some of the new cards or whatever, but yep. that's about it. I was pretty excited that Runeterra came out on mobile, although a lot of the reason for me wanting to play that game on mobile was like, you know, when I'm traveling in like in an airport, I can just like play right. a game or whatever. And now it's like, well, it being on mobile doesn't really matter all that much, but Regardless, uh, they, they are, their second set just came out. So I like poked around, talked to my former roommate a little bit about what he was liking and like, you know, built some constructed decks, played on ladder a little bit. And I'm just like, I'm kind of off it. I don't know. Maybe that's like my general malaise. But I've also talked to a couple different people about this where it's like really like, is it that difficult to get away from Magic's core concepts when you're building a new game? Like, the stat lines are the same. The deck building is roughly the same. A lot of the mechanics are the same. And it's like Runeterra is polished. It it looks good. It plays well. But it's just like this This is basically magic except with like way fewer cards. And it's not different enough to be interesting to me. It's basically just bad magic to me. It does feel like that's what the genre would have to do to really grab my attention and it's kind of unintuitive right you assume if these people love magic so much you have to pay tribute to a lot of the magic beats but if you're paying tribute to the magic beats i'm just sticking with magic like i don't have any reason to get away from it and you you got to do something kind of off the wall and different to pull me in and nobody quite has yet uh my impressions of like rune terra i i thought it was very good I thought it was very polished. I played it for a while. I was generally like quite pleased with my games and I was having fun and the animations were cool and there was deck building space to explore. And then I stopped and I can't really tell you why. I mean, part of it was probably like a new magic set came out 
right? So yeah. whenever that happens, I'm just going to go back to magic. Like regardless of how bad a magic set may ultimately be for the game, those few weeks leading up to it seem awesome every single time. So you always have that period where you get to explore all this new stuff and have a lot of fun. So any diversion for me is going to be temporary as long as it's still operating under the same general themes of magic. And that's, I mean, I think that's why we all get so excited. And like when magic's bad, it's like, well, what if I just left? What if I did something else? But the the core of the game is so good. And I just don't think you're ever going to see that same play experience replicated anywhere else. I think it's a once in a lifetime game. I really feel that strongly about it. So we can all keep our fingers crossed, but we're probably here for the long haul. Agreed. I mean, magic also for me, like it has a bunch of history, right? And I've, I've been playing it for a long time and a lot of that history was positive too. Yep. So that kind of keeps me involved. Whereas, like I said, with something like room Terra, it's just like, okay, can you please release like 10 more sets in like different formats, please? So that I, I can actually, mess around and do different things when one thing gets stale and it's, it's just not quite there yet. So I don't know, maybe in, in three years I'll look at their game again or whatever, but I don't know. Like I played Hearthstone for a while. I played Shadowverse. I played Eternal, uh, Elder Scrolls game. Now this game, and it's just like, all right, you know, it, it catches my interest for a little bit, but ultimately like they're just bad versions of magic. Yep. Yeah. Every single one of those games I spent some time with and some money with. So they're all probably pretty happy that I came through their ecosystem, but nothing ever got the hooks in for sure. Yeah. I I think things could have been differently for some of those games, but I don't know. Shadowverse is just now a bunch of combo kills and all your cards are uh, like who, what, where, when, why, or whatever. They're just like four different mode split cards and Mm. everyone dies just on turn nine or turn 10 and there's no interaction. It's just like, well, this was a good game. I don't know what happened. It just became like very, very dual master easy very quickly. Gotcha. Yeah. Of those games, I actually probably was the biggest fan of the Elder Scrolls game. I thought that game was quite good for a period. I like that game too, but it wasn't, I don't know. It was, it was more limit poker or chess than magic, right? Sure. Like those games also felt kind of deterministic, but your, your win rate, if you were good at the game was definitely way higher. Yeah, maybe that's it. Is just we just have these honeymoon periods where like we have this wealth of back knowledge to build off of. So we pretty quickly get to like a high level of the game. We're like, yeah, we're crushing it. We really get this. And then as you settle into those play patterns, you pretty quickly lose interest. And it's more the thrill of succeeding than the actual thrill of the game. Yeah. I mean, well, there's like the learning period up to the point where you're succeeding. And both of those are interesting to me. But yeah. then it's just like, grinding ladder for the sake of grinding ladder and it's like there's there's no carrot at the end or anything and the games are kind of boring and deterministic and it's like what what am i doing here you know yeah let's Good let's question. see what's happening in popper <laughs> we did just have a popper conversation before we started this podcast uh among many other conversations about other formats that could potentially grab our interest anything does anyone have anything for us please help everyone keeps Send yelling help. like Play Commander, and it's just not for me. Thank you for welcoming me to your community, but that's not going to be my answer. I I think it's part of the reason why I took the launch of this set so hard was the proliferation of Companion into every format really just emphasized what a problem these cards were to me. And there's a lot of good arguments that these cards can be positive fixtures in those 
eternal formats and i agree with some of them like they're they're legit arguments a lot of the gameplay surrounding these cards is pretty good but just the i guess ubiquitousness of it all and just the grossness and the dramatic erasure of history and the fundamental change to magic that was taken very lightly was ultimately like you just had this reminder of it in every single format you went to and it wasn't a small reminder you were being bludgeoned over the head with it repeatedly match after match after match and there was no escape within magic at that moment and it it, it's been tough i guess there were bands that we haven't even mentioned 46 minutes into this podcast now but uh yeah that happened so Things are starting to hopefully get righted, uh, but it's going to be a long road to undo some of the damage done here. I wanted there to be like one Luris deck and one Urian deck yes. and just have those take their place among the older formats where it's like, yeah, modern now has like this new new toy to play with. Right. And that would be cool. But like you said, yeah, they're just everywhere. You're You're just being bludgeoned with them every single game. And it's not great. Not great. Nope. Uh, yeah, bans. I don't know. Like, they banned some stuff and legacy and whatnot. <laughs> Remember when we had to do emergency podcasts about bans because they were so ludicrous and unexpected and such breaking news? And 30,000 people would show up and watch our YouTube videos as we discussed a ban that happened earlier that day. And now it's just like, oh, yeah, there were, there were bans this week. You guys remember that? Let's not talk about it. Move on. Yeah. I mean, whatever, man. It's legacy. Not a ton of people are interested. I, I think like the big story surrounding the bands was that it was not enough for a lot of people. Like yep. people want Astrolabe gone in legacy and modern. Uh, I am. I'm mostly there, although I don't think it necessarily has to be right away. Uh, like Luris is another very likely problematic card in modern. And again, it's just like, it'll be gone at some point. I'm not, I'm not really in a rush, I guess. Like there's, there's no pressing modern, you know, pro tour or something coming up where it's like, look, we need this format to not be completely clown shoes. So it's like, I don't know, let, let people keep messing around with the newish stuff. Like there, there are new decks showing up in modern and people are figuring out what to do with a lot of the companions still. So I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know. I hope there is a change to these cards that can make them still an interesting part of magic and not all consuming of magic. That is my sincere hope for like you said, there should be a Loris deck, there should be a Urian deck, and I think that is potentially a net positive. But the problem is the cards as printed are just far too powerful to ever fall within those kind of reasonable constraints. And banning a bunch of stuff surrounding it seems pretty silly to me at this point. And I don't think Astrolabe really falls under that category. Like Astrolabe's just a dumb magic card to have exist under, you know, color pie constraints and general checks and balances that happen in magic. It just shouldn't be around and it probably won't be for much longer, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, I guess. And then we'll do a show about it. Sure. That's the moment where we're ready to talk bands again. Yeah. Uh, what else? We had the the Red Bull untapped thing. That happened. Yeah, and a little bit of a victory lap for you. We started the show with a Jerry T mistake. Why don't we close it with a Jerry T nailed it? Well, I mean, to be fair, this is, again, one of the things where it's like I, I say a lot of things and like some of them might end up being right, you know? <laughs> right. But right. at least at least I'm not like blatantly wrong in the things that I say, right? Like Jeskai Luka crushed the tournament. It got second. Uh, we both, we were both uh, we on both, board with that. Both agreed with that. Uh, not 
not really any of the changes that we talked about, like no glass caskets, no clarions, anything like that, like a pretty normal stock list. And it, it just looks like there wasn't a lot of cycling in, there wasn't any cycling in the top eight. So you didn't really need casket to account for flourishing Fox. So I don't know, it right. worked out, but yeah, the, the winner was Azorius control with four brazen borrowers. What's up? Uh, you just nailed it. And this deck also was sitting at number one on the ladder for, for a while in the hands of which just crushing it. I, I guess, tell us why you went into it a little bit while you like Brazen Borrower, but now having seen it in action, having played with this deck a little bit, I think, why don't you tell us more about it? And is this like the answer going forward? If you were playing one of these events going on this weekend, would you be looking to play Azorius Control? Which is Teruya, right? Yes. Okay. Basically, I felt that having a pile of counter spells was going to be good. This it's basically like the way the team of reclamation decks were adapting. It was like, all right, we got to play a bunch of mystical disputes and negates, and you saw some like neutralizes showing up and stuff. And uh, Brazen Borrower is also just very good right now. And for a deck like Team of Reclamation, I mean, you need to be able to get a Narset off the battlefield a lot of the time or a Teferi. So borrower does that while also like pressuring people and borrower is just like a great card to have once you have a wall of counter magic because then you just get to slip this into play at some point and you have a clock to go with your counter spells and you're not looking to counter literally everything that you that they play you are just chipping away at them while you counter the relevant stuff and a lot of the decks that are succeeding in standard right now have very few relevant cards and are pretty weak to counter magic so it, it just made sense to me like I think at first I thought like a fish deck might be good, like some uh, octopies and spectral sailors and all that nonsense. And it's like, no, you really, you don't need to play a bunch of small creatures and counter spells. You can just play like borrowers and counter spells and other stuff. And you have shark typhoon. Uh, yeah. I mean that too, that certainly uh, helps with the entire strategy. So yep. yeah, it, it's the same thing where it's like, you could play merfolk or you could play Delver, right? Like you can play a bunch of threats and some counter magic, or you could play, the the cheapest or best threats and some counter magic and this just shifts uh the deck from like blue white control to this sort of like weird blue white tempo mismatch but you see a lot of these decks kind of go that route after boarding anyway where it's like they board in legion war boss and some more counter spells and disruption and that's how the games end up playing and now it's just correct to start that stuff yeah uh cool adaptation and I love when a deck comes out of kind of left field. I mean, obviously, Azorius Control has been on all of our radars, but I don't think anyone would have placed it in the top tier. Uh, really smart. Except me. Adaptation, except you. You get your credit here. You get to take your victory lap. Bink. Going forward, are you into this deck? Like, are you playing it this weekend? It's okay. 80 cards leads to some consistency issues. Obviously, the Urian payoff is worth it in a lot of scenarios, but... I don't know. Like Blue White still has the problem where it's like you have all these shatters and glass caskets and dream trawlers, which are not very good in certain matchups. So a lot of it relies on being able to succeed in the post board games because post board against basically any deck in the format, I think like your your deck is just top notch. You know, you just have a, a bunch of cards that are very good in in each place. But game one is kind of the weak point, I think. But that's fine. Uh, I think that you can do. A lot of the stuff that the Zorius control deck did in Team of Reclamation, you can play a bunch of counter spells and Brazen Borrowers, and instead of relying on Shatter the Sky, uh, you just 
wilderness reclamation kill people. And I think that that's, that's a fine place to be. It's not, it's not great when there's a bunch of aggro decks, but like blue white control, I think is, you know, like the 55% deck and team of reclamation is going to have more polarizing matchups. Okay. So it, it's, it's fine. It, it is completely fine against every single deck. You're a slight favorite in a lot of spots. And if you win game one, you kind of feel like you stole something. So one thing I take away from this discussion is that this is not the right move for the arena open and day one best of no. one. Although you, you can change your deck on you day can. two. So you can little mono red, get in like 20 to 30 bullets on day one. And then when you make day two, you can shift gears, go to your arena Zorius control, hope to win the tournament and break even. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's how I'm living my life these days. Oh man. Uh, yeah, definitely a bad choice for best of one. I, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, Luca just has to be the best choice for best of one, right? I think it's the best choice for everything. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe you can do something, an even more linear version of the Luca setup that works in the best of one scenarios, like maybe Winota. Uh, Winota Fire setups are actually just as viable because they don't have cards that hard target that particular mode of comboing off that are usually confined to the sideboard at this point in the metagame. So I would give that a look as well. But in general, I just want to get to the end, Agent of Treachery endgame. And uh, I just think Jeskai Luke is the best way to do that. Yeah, it's funny. It's like, even if the deck is poorly positioned, if you do your thing, it's still just kind of busted. You yeah. Know? Yeah, it's triple like, mana on turn five plus steal two of your permanents is, n- that's just not realistic magic. Like that's preposterous. Yeah. I'm I'm looking at uh, Aaron Barrage's deck list right now. I'm like, uh... this is the uh, Winota Jeskai Fire setup. Yeah, it's like wild. it, love it, hate it. I don't know. Uh, this is one of the decks where I look at it and it's kind of hard to tell. It does look good okay. to me. Uh, it looks good, but it's like this. This could also just like play out very, very poorly. I don't know if if Aaron is liking it. I mean, uh, like she is just one of the people that I would just be like, pay attention to what she says. Yep, the, the I end. think that's a very good strategy at this point. Yeah, also in top eight of the Red Bull tournament, two copies of Team of Reclamation, one with Brazen Borrower, one without. Both have a lot of Counterspells main, including four Mystical Disputes. One has a copy of Tail's End. And then mm, uh, love that one, card. Yeah, one has a Negate. Tail's End is actually pretty nice right now. Yep. That's kind of gross. And then... A copy of Umori Gruel Monsters is pretty sweet. This deck, uh, I already started playing against it on ladder a little bit and does some kind of messed up stuff. I'm not sure if it's like actually well positioned for what the format is doing, but it, it does feel like pretty explosive and pretty fast. Yeah, so very early on in the format, I was messing with a similar umori gruel list and a lot of the synergies are really good like arboreal grazer marauding raptor plus the mutate creatures are nice stone coil serpent or voracious hydra with the mutate creatures gets out of control really quickly the problem was that basically jeskai luka existed and the end games were so preposterous that regardless of like you couldn't be a mid-range aggressive deck like that wasn't going to get the job done even if you were making a 10 10 on turn five it was just getting stolen anyway so there really wasn't a place for it this deck set itself up to have a even more explosive end game in the form of andre's forerunners that's cool and i understand why you'd want to go that route given the way things have played out also god eternal ronis available to double up power 
again, close the game very quickly. And I think that's pretty essential right now. So cool stuff going on here. I like a lot of the core of this deck. It feels like it's gotten a little murky in a way to compete with the rest of the format. And as we talked about going back a couple of weeks now, maybe that's just what magic's about. And I shouldn't worry about the fact that it looks a little clunky and elegant and has just an absolute load of action at the four mana spot on the curve. Maybe it's just about doing the most powerful thing. And this is a particularly powerful build of these Amari Grill decks. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, I, this is this is a deck where it's like, eh, maybe with another set you'll get enough tools and like fill things out. But like Marauding Raptor with Umori and like Grazer being acceleration and a body to mutate onto. It's like it's close. It is very yeah. close. Yeah, it felt very close to me. I agree. Just needs like a good three mana card and like a better top end than Forerunners or Ronus. I think. And yeah, and you also are forced into mulliganing to Grazer or Raptor every single game with this deck. Like your yep. deck basically does not function without either. So some kind of way to build redundancy in that spot could be very useful as well. Yeah, I wonder how bad it is to just play like a really crappy elf, like some O3 elf, so it doesn't die to the Raptor or something. And I don't know. Uh, what did I have in my deck? I... Like Leafkin Druid or the two mana one three. I guess the one three is like almost strictly better. Yeah, I had the the one three that taps for any color of mana. Yeah. For a creature. Yep. Which you don't care about in your deck. And it was fine. I, I just think you're so accelerant reliant that you just have to go down that route. So Yep. I don't know. I like we, we did get a thing right, right? We got a couple things right with our standard. Yeah, we get we get some stuff right. We get things right from now so, every now and then, I guess. Well, Who a knows? lot of the time. So like that that's the positive part, right? Like a lot of the other stuff is negative. What what have you been doing that has been positive? Does your house have ice cream right now? My house does not have ice cream. Here's the thing about that, ice cream. That's because you've got to eat ice cream, right? So is, well, that, is that positive I'm, or negative? Got to get into that. Here's the thing about ice cream. Ice cream in the moment is a super positive thing. Like when you're putting that ice cream in your face, there's few feelings on this planet better than that. Ice cream after weeks of ice cream and being trapped in your home starts to be less of a positive thing. And uh, I'm definitely feeling some fitness failures due to these circumstances and my love of ice cream. So Feeling a little sluggish on those runs, huh? Yeah, a little sluggish. Actually, I'm I'm dealing with some tendonitis right now. Oh, no. And yeah, so a part of that is probably, I'm still running the same amount, but probably doing it like five to 10 pounds heavier, which is tough on your joints, especially as you get older. So trying to tone back a little bit on the ice cream right now, uh, I have been, instead of running this week to treat the tendonitis, I'm biking, lower impact. Uh, So I had a few really nice bike rides this week that I enjoyed. And then other than that, the positive stuff is just the same things I'm always grateful for. You know, we're safe, we're healthy, had a bit of a health scare with my family this week that worked out well. So always happy to have things go in that direction. And, you know, we're just getting by this the best we can. Playing some good video games, playing Super Mega Baseball 3 on the Switch, which I'm really enjoying. So there's that. Yeah, you know, just trying to do my best to get through this. What about you? What's the positive stuff going on on your side? Nothing. (laughs) You got nothing for me? (laughs) Not one thing? No No, new cats since the last time I spoke to you? No, not yet. I'm working on it, though. Okay. Yeah, cats cats are good. I've, I've had some rare flashes of having energy in like the last couple of days, which worked out well, I suppose, because 
I had to, you know, write an article, do a podcast, stuff like that. So that's good. It is, right. it is good when, when those things coincide, unlike last week where I was like, I have to take this week off from writing an article because I just can't. But yeah, Hey, I've, I've done it several times throughout all of this. Uh, in fact, like two of the last three weeks I, I took off. It's just hard, man. It's hard to get your shit together and get your work done and you shouldn't feel bad about it. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, video chatting with uh, a few friends, which is always nice. I've, I basically like ran out of, you know, video games and like TV that is enjoyable for me to watch. So I'm just like either not doing anything or just like going through kind of like the dregs. So mm. we'll see if, we'll see if I can change that. I haven't spent a lot of time like doing research, but I got some recommendations from friends, but it's for things that are on platforms that I don't have access to currently. So it's like, eh, maybe I'll, you know, actually figure out what my Hulu email is and start watching TV with ads, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. It's it, that's that's just stuff that I do in the background. That that could be anything. Like I never really just like sit and watch a TV show and not do anything else. But uh, I've been like playing a lot of Pokemon Go too, and that's been good. Okay. They they have adjusted the game. I'm assuming where you can now play it from home, right? Yeah. I mean, so it's it's kind of boring. It's like not great. Like, do you? How much about the game do you know? Very little. I played like during that first week when it came out, where everyone on the planet was playing, and that was about it. Yeah, I don't know. So there's there's this item that usually lasts for 30 minutes and it would like spawn a thing every five minutes or something. And now it lasts for 60 minutes and spawns a thing like every minute. So you can like sit at home and just like catch a thing per minute. And it's like, okay, that's that's fine, you know, and they extended the distance for things that you're able to like swipe on the map. So you don't have to like get super close to people to like go swipe a stop or swipe a gym or something, which is cool. That's good. Yeah. Uh, I have a stop by my house that is a church that even with double the distance is still just out of my reach. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so that's frustrating. However, Josh Cho had a stop that was right next to his house that the double distance makes it so he can now swipe. So you win some, you lose some, you know, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's fine. It's just like I got more into the PVP side of things and their stuff is super messed up where it's like, Normally, you just want to find things that have the higher stats, but the way uh, PvP works is that they are capped by, like, overall power, mm. like the, the CP number or whatever. Yep. So the, the things that you're looking for are typically bad attack, high defense, high HP. Seems like that would make encounters very long, right? No, it, so, like, it that just makes it so, like, you have an optimal thing. So, like, uh, okay. the, the lowest league is capped at CP 1500. So I can, if I have like a perfect statted thing and I level it up to like level 20, maybe it's at, at like 1600, so I can't use it. But if I have okay. a thing that has a bad attack stat and I level it up to level 20, it'll be like 1490, somewhere in that range. Gotcha. So it's like you get you get to maximize the amount of stats that you have by having a bad attack stat, which also means that all of the stuff that I've been collecting the last three years is just garbage for PvP for the most part. Mm-hmm. So now I'm just like, ooh, I caught a thing with like a bad attack stat and now I'm happy about it. And that just makes me mad. <laughs> well, at least it like opens up portions of the game to you, right? Like I'm assuming you have has. gone pretty far into the end game at this point. So this is oh, something yeah. new to do. Yeah, I mean, like I I had like everything in the decks and like hit level 40 and then was just like, now what? You know, and then they started doing PvP and I tried it a little bit and it's like, this doesn't really do it for me. But now that it's like, hey, you have to now collect bad versions of all the stuff. I'm like, okay, right. I'm in. Yeah, something and, new to do. 
it, it pisses me off to no end. It's like, how could you not just develop a system that made it so people would be happy to use all the stuff that they had been collecting this entire time, you know, but whatever. I'm trying to come up with a basis. I mean, do you think they considered the fact that they rejuvenated some players interest in actually collecting Pokemon? I highly doubt it. I, okay. I think that they didn't think that people would min max it, even though this game is all about min maxing. Yeah, I, I I can't imagine making a game in 2020 and being like, no one's going to min-max this. So, I mean, so what you can do is instead of having like a level 20 thing that is like perfectly statted for PvP, you can just have like a good statted, like a perfect IV level 19 thing. And like, that'll probably be like 1490 and you can use it. It just won't be as good as the other stuff, right? Like you're short a level. Right. So you're going to have left less total stats, period. So like, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to, you know, play like Tranquil Cove instead of Hollowed Fountain or whatever. I'm just not going to. I refuse. Of course. So, yes, it has given me something to do, but there's there's still me just being angry in the background. (laughs) There's still a ball of rage inside me, despite this fact. Yeah, it, it makes me mad, but whatever. I don't know. It, it's so funny, too, because it's like I don't even play that much PvP because it's, it's like not very good and it's kind of buggy. Right. So this is kind of like the equivalent of us getting angry at the Arena Open, despite the fact that neither one of us is going to play the Arena Open. Sort of. I don't know. It's basically just like this game that I already had a lot invested in, like you said, just gave me another thing to collect. I, I went kind of ham on it, and I I played... Maybe like 200 games of PvP or something. Whereas okay. whereas Cho plays like 50 games per day. Cho goes hard on everything he goes into, basically. He does. And I mean, you know, he, he's in like kind of a weird spot too, where it's like he had just graduated before COVID. So then he right. was like job hunting and like not a lot of places are hiring. So it's just like he needs something to sink his time into, which I think Pogo is great for. Because it, it does constantly make you feel like you're achieving something, right? It's mm-hmm. so like, I will catch 60 things in an hour. And then at the end of it, I'll like trash 59 of them. And it's like, oh, I got this one new thing. But it's like, cool, I got this one new thing. And it's like, right. you can you can do that relatively consistently. So yeah, I mean, he gets to do this thing that like keeps him sane. And then he, he likes fighting people on the internet. So like the PvP thing is good for him too. So <laughs> Look, that's what we're all doing right now, finding the ways to keep ourselves sane. Uh, hopefully, we are part of your keep sane routine and you check in with us every week. And our rage this week hasn't thrown you off course and put you in a spiral. There's still things to be positive about, even when there's things to be upset about. Sometimes you just have to work a little bit harder. Even if those things that are a net positive make you angry, I think it's still okay. <laughs> sure. I like that approach. So we kind of did this. I don't think we were intending to do this as question, but I will say that Andrew W. basically asked this question. He said, first of all, do you remember the before times? No, we've completely forgotten about them at this point. Uh, and he agrees with that sentiment. And then he said, anyway, what's something you and Jerry love and want to recommend to us all? It oh, sounds dear. like we have we have answered this question for the no, most no, part. No, no, no. You got I a parting w- shot you want to take? I would, I, dude, I would not recommend that people do the stuff that I like. Okay. okay. So anytime I make a recommendation, it is very carefully tailored to the person. And if I don't know the person well enough, I would probably ask them some questions beforehand where it's like, you know, if if random person asks me like what anime should they watch or whatever, it's like, there are a lot of broad categories of anime. Yeah. 
and I'm not going to recommend the same stuff to every person. So I will try and ask them some feeler questions to help point me in a direction, you know? So what is, what is something I, I just love and want to recommend to everyone? Do you have a good answer for this? Do I? Exercise. I love exercise. I, I legitimately think everyone on the planet can benefit for some, from some exercise in a form you enjoy, in a way that works for you. The mental boost I get from any of the exercise I do, it honestly keeps me going a lot of the times. And even like replacing my main form of exercise, which is running with biking for this week, has left me feeling like antsy and a bit on edge. And that's how I know the benefit of running is like so intense for me. So I think I can, in good faith, recommend exercising to everyone. So I, I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine, maybe like three days ago, kind of about this, where he was talking about how he wanted to start exercising because he thought it would be good for his mental health and then proceeded to give me a bunch of excuses why he couldn't. And I went one by one, dismantled all of the excuses. And it's just like, okay, now what, you know? But basically it was like trying to find out his routine and I'm, I'm not an exercise expert or anything, but I spent maybe like a year going to the gym with a buddy of mine who was, so it's like, I picked up some stuff from him. And then I don't know. I just have like people who have these little things that are in their routine, like you go running or whatever, where it's like, I know that there is a wide variety of different exercises you can do that can fit into basically any schedule. So like, I agree with you that no matter what, you know, you can find something like, in in between my dining room and my office, I have a pull-up bar, right? And it's just like Perfect. any anytime, yeah, I try and go and like do a few pull-ups. Like if I cross through, now I don't do that every time because I'm lazy and I suck, you know? But it's like, it's there and it's like taunting me all the time. And like, it it yes, it does feel good to exercise. It absolutely does. But how do you actually like, you know, get up in the morning and run or whatever. It's like that, like my friend and I both have kind of the same problem where it like takes us a few hours to actually get going in the morning. And that's when my buddy wanted to go to the gym. And what motivated me was knowing that at 10 AM he was going to be there and he enjoyed it a lot more when I was there with him. So I would go, I would like drag my ass out of bed, even though, you know, maybe I stayed up till like 6 AM or something. So I'm on like no sleep, my schedule's disrupted, whatever, but I have to go to the gym, work out with this dude. And then, I just had so much energy for the rest of the day every single time, but I yeah. like that wasn't enough to convince me to keep going back. It, it, it was always something else. It was always like my friend will be disappointed if I don't show up. Yeah, I'm, look, we all have to find our own reasons, right? And I don't know that there's a an answer that is right. Like the thing that is supposed to keep you coming back, I think you found one that worked for you, and that's all you have to do is just find whatever is getting you to go there. And the the dope thing about exercise is that like any amount is better than none. So whatever small thing you add to your day, like you've made an improvement and you have something to be proud of. You could do one, I don't care if you do one push-up and you just do one push-up every day. And then maybe one day you'll feel like doing two. And you don't have to immediately hop into this huge program. You just have to be like, I'm going to try and do more of this stuff. And you get really hard rewarded for that. Yeah, that was that was another thing I, I told him too. Or it's just like, just, you know, find some exercise thing you can do in your room for 10 minutes on YouTube or whatever, right? And yep. just do something. That is my biggest advice to actually anyone in any walk of life, whatever you're trying to accomplish. I see so many people who tell me about the things they want to accomplish and they want to do. 
but they don't actually do anything towards it. They just talk about it. And it's just like, do something, do the smallest possible thing that can lead you towards that goal. And I think that's of such high value. Yeah. When I started going to the gym with my buddy, it was kind of overwhelming where he was just like, I go, you know, four or five times a week, sometimes twice in one day. This is leg day. These are the programs that I use, blah, 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 blah. I'm just like, uh, you know, like this, this is just too much. And it was like, okay, I'll start going like two days a week and then three days a week. And even Mm -hmm. that I thought was me starting pretty hard. Right. And yeah, you definitely don't have to do that. Like just the, the pull up bar type of thing I think is completely reasonable. Or if, yeah, you just want to go for a walk and then maybe the walk becomes a run or yeah, you find like a 10 minute thing to do in your room. And then you're just like, well, let's do it for 20 minutes or whatever, you know, and just go from there. I think that's super helpful, but I don't know, just like, how does, how does someone actually get started? How do they, how do you just like wake up one day from like apropos of nothing basically, and then just be like, all right, I'm going to do this thing for 10 minutes. Uh, self-loathing mostly yeah. <laughs> is what really, really clenches it for myself. Yeah. It's just like, I wake up one day and I'm like, I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, I hate you. I'm going to fix you. And then I go do something and maybe it'll last. Maybe it won't. Some things stick, some things don't, but uh, that tends to be the impetus for for my changes. I don't know if that's the best way to go about it, but generally that's where it comes from. Dude, whatever works. Yeah. Uh, man, I'm trying to think of something that I genuinely enjoyed and would recommend to every single person, and I I don't have a good answer. It's okay. You don't have to have a good answer now. You can think about it. You come back next week, try and come up with something. Think about your life and the things that like you benefit from immensely and see if there's something you can share with people. If not, well, eh, you'll find it at some point. So the, the things that I think benefit my life immensely are not the things that I would put into the broad category of I would recommend this to everyone. I think it is like a smaller yeah. thing, basically, where cool. it's like yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of like an album or a podcast or a, a TV show or something that I think is or would be generally accepted by a lot of people. I don't know. Do you know what I would put forth for you? I mean, obviously this isn't how this works. I don't get to tell you what the thing you love is. So my problem right now is like, I can't think of everything. Right. Right. And yeah, give me a week to think about it. And I probably could come up with something. So I'm curious to see if you have something that you know that I like, that is generally applicable that I probably forgot about or is not coming. To yeah. I, I think it's just like altruism and helping other people out. I I honestly think that's when you shine the brightest and when you're like at your best and when it, when your mood is at its highest is when you have the opportunity to like put someone in a better position. And obviously that's a very broad thing, but it's a good structure to live your life by. Like if you're just trying to live your life to make the world better for other people, I think that's a really positive place to be. Yeah. I was, I was trying to think of like a video game or piece of media or whatever. Uh, I, I would recommend that very highly uh, obviously I am fortunate in that I'm in a position where I'm able to give back in certain ways and not everyone sure. has time or money or whatever, but yeah. even just like, you know, being kind to your friends and stuff like that, that shit matters. It matters so much. Like what I try and do is every interaction I have with a human being, I don't want it to be negative. You know, maybe it's yeah. just like, me being cordial to the lady who cleaned off my self checkout counter at target or whatever, you know, but it's like, I, I don't want to interact with that person and have them be like, Oh, you know, like Jerry was kind of cold or like seemed rude or like he was in a bad mood or whatever. It's like, no, like 
just the good side of it is like trying to make everyone's lives a little bit more positive. That's kind of like what I strive for. But realistically, like the benchmark is just don't try and make things worse. Yeah, I think that's a great way to approach it. Also, while this cast trended like pretty negatively about magic in general, I will say that in recent years, the way the magic community has kind of uh, solidified around this idea of just like lift each other up, be better to each other. And that's not to say there's not still huge outliers. Obviously, there are. There's obviously yeah, tons was, of huge problems we have <laughs> to overcome. I was going to say, has it? Yeah. No, it has. It really has. Like, there is certainly a group of people I see who goes out of their way to lift other people up. And it's noticeable. And I I, I think that would be such an outlier 10 years ago yes. that it would actually shock you. you and you are, granted, I wish it was larger, but- yeah. You are right that there is a subsection of people doing it and that that was unspeakable 10 years ago. Yeah, I, I just thought you meant like, you know, community at large, like 70% no, no, of the we, people are positive or whatever. No, I'm just like, ah. No, we have not solved this problem. But there are bastions of hope in yes. a sea of problems. 100%. 100%, man. I, I, I try and lead by example and I have had my own life brightened by other people who do lead by example too, because it makes me happy to see those people doing those sorts of things. Right. Agreed. And the, the closest thing I have right now, I think is like just taking care of my pets. And that, that makes me super happy just because they seem, you know, like clean and well-fed and warm and get to sleep for 18 hours a day and have warm laps uh, the to, dream. to hang out. And yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> the absolute dream. 18 hours of sleep. I'm clean. That's all I really want out of life. It, it makes me happy that they're happy, you know? And if, if they if they would learn English and tell me what they actually want, I I would love to give it to them, you know? They definitely know some kind of language because I hear them speak on the regular, especially when you like walk away from your microphone for a while. Often your cats <laughs> will just step up to the mic and rap with me for a little bit, which I appreciate. Yeah, see, that's the thing. It's like they, they meow, but it's it's never like... You know, I, it's very clear what I want, right? It's just like, I am in distress somehow. And it's like, what is it? Fix I'm, this. Is it because I'm immediately, is it because I'm standing? Is that what you don't like? Is it because I'm not wearing socks? Is it <laughs> like, you know, you don't know where your ball went. I don't know where your ball went either, you know? So who knows? A lot of responsibility. <laughs> it's, it's so much, man. I, I don't speak cat yet. Getting one there. day well that is game good luck <laughs>